but yeah this is my brain it's a mess and it's oh a little God. too dedicated to guitars that i play poorly and Amazing. stuff like that so. i didn't know you were a guitar player that's so cool well i'm not yeah well i'm yeah yeah i have guitars okay. i won't claim to be a guitar player <laughs> it's a lifelong addiction that you never get over i know i play the i play the guitar and i'm in a mom band called mama drama so oh, cool. um, we play locally in New Jersey, but I do play the electric and, you know, it's just my life school. I felt like I missed that boat when I was younger and I yep. started like after I had kids and um, we all said, let's just do something that makes us happy. So it's awesome. Well, you know, I think that's such an important part of building or living the brand that is you and by the way i just roll right into the we're already talking we're already podcasting okay. because that's the way i roll <laughs> I but i, I want to fold in what you were saying which was yeah. i think i missed something when i was younger and i wanted to take advantage of it now i mean I'm, I'm putting my own words on your what you were saying but i think that's what a lot of people feel it's like oh i should have started blogging earlier i should have started podcasting earlier i should have done everything earlier everybody's so much cooler than I ever was and all that stuff to which I say, yeah, that might be a little bit true, but sure. the reality is the only thing that's stopping you from starting today is you. Mm -hmm. That I think is one of the biggest things to overcome. So the fact that you oh, right. and some other moms got together to create a mom band, I think is fantastic. And <laughs> you know, it, it has to be something that's hundred percent pure joy. It is. It is. It's it's our outlet. We practice. We have band practice tonight. So once a week we get together and it's like our night where we can, you know, have some wine and really play. And we have also been writing our own music, which is fun. So now we play like half covers, half originals. And it's just something that we are addicted to. We just love it. And we laugh that we're going to go on tour when we're in our like 60s down to Florida and, you know, play the route. <laughs> yep. So uh, we never want to give it up. But again, it's never too late. And, and I always say that if you want something bad enough, you can absolutely make it happen no matter how, how old you are. So you just have to want it bad enough and have that passion and drive. Well, and I think being in that cohort that I would call older as I scratch my grandkids, <laughs> <No. laughs> I would say that the good thing about getting older is you just don't give a rip anymore. And it's yeah. like, you know, I know yeah. I'm not going to be wearing a, I'm not going to be <laughs> down Instagram influencer, 20 year old in a hot bikini body. Well, I would I was never going to be that. But, yeah. you, you know, those days are long gone. And frankly, I don't care. I've been scared so long in my life. I'm done being scared. Yeah, and now no. I'm going to be me. You're right. Absolutely. I look back, even if you said like five years ago, like you'd be I'd be playing on a stage, like playing for 40, a 40 minute set in, you know, in front of all these people. I would have said you're crazy. Like and now I don't you know, you get to a point where you're like, I just I don't care. I'm just doing my thing. I don't you know it. We're not really trying to be anyone. We're just having moms having fun. So, Well, but it's not only moms having fun. It's Carrie being Carrie, if you ask me. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> podcast listeners, we are just meeting because Carrie is a friend of a friend. Allison K. Summers, who was on, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. We hit it off like crazy because we met at a speaking engagement where she was speaking and I was speaking. 
two years later, we finally get on a podcast together and find out, oh my God, we love each other. <laughs> and she turns around and says, well, I think you need to meet Carrie. Yes. And so consequently, I'm meeting Carrie for the very first time via podcast, which by the way, is one of the reasons you have a podcast because you can reach out to people like Carrie, who's located out on the Eastern seaboard someplace between New Jersey and New York. While yes. I'm here in the corn fed Midwest outside of Madison, Wisconsin, that doesn't stop me because I can ask and she can say no, but she said, <laughs> well, I was yes, so honored. I was so honored. Once I found you and I was, I was listening to your other podcasts with Mark and Allison and no, it was, it was awesome. So I'm, I'm bowing down to you as a podcast host. I, I have a lot to learn and love, you know, everything that you're doing, the people you're bringing on and, and sharing their stories. Well, thank you. That's good to hear because one of the things about being a podcaster is you never, even if you're looking at your analytics on a minute by minute basis, you never know if anybody's really listening. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, uh, who was it in uh, Pump Up the Volume, that movie with, um, what's his name? It doesn't matter, but it's nice to know that someone's listening and actually finding some value out of it, especially the conversations that I'm having with really smart people like you, Carrie Balog. Now, with a name like Knuton, I am very concerned about pronouncing someone's last name correctly. Do I have Balog correctly? Oh gosh, I I admit I do not pronounce my my last name correctly. It, it's supposed to rhyme with Kellogg, so it's Belog, but it's B A L. It's Hungarian, so sometimes I'll say Balog, so people get it. But it's real. It's Belog rhymes with Kellogg. The well, there you it. go. But my maiden name is Migliaccio, which means black pudding in Italian. And, and that was somewhat easier to say. So Migliaccio. See, I can say yeah, that. See? There you go. The thing that confuses me is the G-H at the end. There are so many different pronunciations of G-H. But anyway, mm -hmm. I digress, as is my want. But I want to talk to you going back to your mom bandness, which you kind of say, well, I'm in a mom band. And I'm like, no, looking at your website, looking at your, uh, your logo avatar, which is kind of like the, the cover of a Rolling Stones album with the lips and the, the parted lips and all that stuff. And unknown to you podcast listeners, right over her shoulder is a neon sign with that self-same image. It seems to me you want to, you definitely want to kind of have a graphic avatar for who you are and the way you roll. Mm -hmm. And that happens to be bright red lipstick, a slightly open mouth, and what looks to be half friendly, half terrifying at the same time. <laughs> it's really, oh, I think of it like branding, like word of mouth and, you know, getting the word out. Although I must admit our office is right next to a dentist. So we get like five people a day that, that come by and like, is this a dentist? And we're like, no, we probably need to, you know, do a better sign, but it definitely is for, you know, branding and, and, uh, you know, a little sexy. We're trying to make brands sexy. So that's, that's the goal and make people talk about them. Well, let's talk about that when, uh, especially that word sexy. Now I've worked in advertising forever and we use sexy yeah. all the time to describe yeah. something that's interesting. That's fun. That's eye catching. And sometimes it might have a little bit of a sexual connotation involved with it as well, because as we all know from the good days of Don Draper and Mad Men, sex sells. Yeah. But that's not necessarily what you're talking about. When you say you help people make their brands sexy, what do you mean? So it's funny. I just realized this and came to the term making brands sexy 
actually this year because my background is fashion PR. So I, you know, produced fashion shows. I lived in Milan for three years. I was in fashion, like the depths of fashion. <laughs> and so everything was so detail oriented, so intense, so you know, two steps ahead, everything had to be, you know, sexy. And it was such a saturated market. But after actually this year, when, you know, COVID hit, my business pivoted organically. And our niche is actually commercial real estate, traditional companies. Like one of our biggest clients is an HVAC company for commercial buildings, schools, restaurants. My other client is a major architecture firm in Manhattan. And so what we've realized is Although you would think those types of like architecture and design, you would think is sexy. But when you actually look at all of their competitors, you'd be surprised that they, they still are archaic and they're more traditional. So we've realized that our you know differentiator is adding our fashion backgrounds to more traditional markets and making them sexy and stand out, if that makes oh, sense. Oh, I love that. You know, it's yeah. the old it's the old saying, clothes make the man. Well, yeah. In riffing off what you're saying, I'm going to guess a couple things. And before I ask this question, I want to kind of set the table for listeners. When you talk to people who are involved in advertising marketing, you can be talking to people who come from distinctly different places. For example, Carrie has mentioned fashion PR, public relations. Oftentimes it's more press relations than it is public relations because it's about getting people to shows or getting them to talk to the designers. And, you know, so it's very, I, I need to get press there. Yes. So, and I'm not saying that's all you do, but I'm saying that I come from an ad agency, a traditional ad agency background where our view of branding is typically everything from the way you answer your phone to your CEO's public behavior. Everything is a brand touch point. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there are other people who are former journalists who have come into the advertising and marketing space, especially since newspapers are going the way of the dodo and yeah. they're finding out that people still need their stories told in an artful way. So they use the written word and primarily that type of skill set. The reason I'm setting this up this way is to say, I'm going to guess, correct me if I'm wrong, that you as a fashion PR background is approaching the art and craft of advertising, marketing and branding from a slightly different point of view than someone like me who comes from a traditional agency background. Would you mm. agree with that? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, fashion, you know, for example, my background, I worked a lot with licenses. So I was PR director for Gucci watches, for Hublot watches, and or Calvin Klein collection was a license. So we would get, you know, we were an extension of the main brand and we would get this big fat branding book and it would tell us for, for Calvin Klein collection, you know, for example, how much water to put into an orchid pot <laughs> because the orchid pots were glass, glass vases. So they would literally tell you exactly how much water down to that. And so also you could only have like black paper clips and you couldn't uh, you use certain color pens. So, you know, I guess detail down to the very last button and, and detail is how I was trained so I'm almost obsessive and I was, you know, learning every branding touch point 
to, I guess, to excess because, you know, every single thing mattered, every single detail mattered. And you mentioned the voicemail as well. Like we do, we do the voicemail messages for our HVAC client because it wasn't matching up with the whole new branding and the new logo and all the, of the, you know, the merchandise, all the touch points that we did to rebrand them, for example. So I think it's, you know, having that fashion training where everyone was really a little crazy and intense. So it really, you know, set the stage for, you know, me being so obsessive about every single detail and trying to get through being a perfectionist, but you know, you can't help, but look at every single detail of a brand through that fashion lens. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are, now available on Amazon.com. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Well, I think that's fascinating because you you combined two businesses in the stories you've told so far that I'm kind of going, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> High fashion in Milan and HVAC from a guy in New Jersey. Exactly. So I used to be giving out like, you know, thousand dollar handbags and watches. And now we're giving, you know, Wawa gift cards to our top clients for, you know, a hundred dollars. So we're, we were laughing because my vice president of PR, she did, she was a VP of fashion brands for, you know, 14 years in the city, in New York City. And we, we, we laugh how things have changed, but we, we love it. We feel like we found our, our niche and we don't, you know, we work for Gucci, we worked for all these big brands and we don't have to, we don't feel we need to say that anymore. Like we did it, you know, now we're like, you know what, these are stable companies where they love what we do. They give us creative freedom and we're the creative leads and, and you can't ask for anything more to, to be able to, you know, see your vision through. Yeah, longtime listeners to the podcast will know that I love to trot out this saying over and over again. Commodities are purchased at the lowest possible price, but premium brands are purchased at a premium. I mean, and you're talking about Gucci. Come on. Yeah. That handbag that has maybe, I'm going to say $150 worth of leather and, you know, accoutrement and stuff like that. And you're selling it for $3,500 and that's the low end version. Gucci gets Gucci dollars by not being a commodity. Instead, they are a brand and not just a brand, not just a premium brand, but a luxury brand. And I'm going to guess you will relate to this story. It's an old story from the good old days of my advertising background. I once heard a guy tell me, did you hear the story about the Cadillac that was sold for $10,000 too little? And I'm like, what do you mean? And who knows, it could be Cadillac, it could be Audi. I've heard this story a thousand times, but they're making a point, which was Audi slash Cadillac slash whoever it was wanted to come out with an entry-level version of their car. So they came out with one and they priced it at a price point the market would not buy because it was $10,000 too cheap. Because if you can afford to buy a Cadillac, you don't look at the price. And that was the point. So what did they do? They yeah. relaunched it by upping the actual price of the vehicle by $10,000 and it started to sell because yeah. again, 
people had an expectation of a brand. Like there is no such thing as a discount Cadillac. There is no such thing as a, a discount Gucci bag or something like that. Exactly. There is the drooling knowledge that your best friend is green with envy because you just happen to walk in yeah. with a new Gucci bag <laughs> and go, oh, this thing? This oh. thing? <laughs> and they no, said it was a sample sale, right? You got that at exactly. a sample sale. I know, I know. I'm taking out with the new movie coming out, The House of Gucci. I'm like finding all my old Gucci Gucci things. But you're so right, you know, and I, we always laugh because when I was in the, the watch industry, you know, working with Hublot, we always used to say Timex probably told better time as a quartz, but you know, than the mechanical watches. But of course you you buy it for the for the brand and I had a genius client, Jean-Claude Biver was his name, and he took Hublot from when it was bankrupt. And then by the time, five years later, sold it to LVMH, you know, the luxury fashion brand. But he came out with an all black watch. You could not even read the time. And I didn't get it at first. And then I was like, oh my gosh, because if you have this watch, you don't need to tell the time. You have an assistant to tell the time. <laughs> you are too high up there and too important to worry about that. You could not find it. It was sold out for years. The all black Hublot was just insane. It made history. Because it served the marketplace yeah. and the marketplace expectation, which is I, if I want data, you get one of these. Yeah. I'm showing her my Apple Watch, <laughs> which has nuclear launch codes and the schematic of the Death Star inside it. You know, it, it's got everything. But guess what? Someone who's not like me, who, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a big watch collector who's noted as a just a call it an addict for expensive watches. And they don't buy those watches to know what time it is or what day it is or if they yeah. got a notification via Bluetooth, they put it on because this was the Rolex that Paul Newman wore the 24 hour of, <laughs> of Le Mans in 1965. Right. Exactly. And, exactly. You know, and it's if anyone incredible. saw what that Paul Newman Rolex went for, you'll understand what I'm talking about, which is, right. oh my God, people pay that kind of money. Yeah. To which I say, not everybody does. No. But the people who love that brand do. Now, I, I want to kind of pull this back and relate it back to the main subject of this podcast, which is kind of personal branding, small business branding, the kind of idea that your small business brand is your personal brand. Because if you are work, if you are employee owned, then your employees, including yourself, are the brand. Sure. How do you relate Gucci to No Joy Z HVAC? <laughs> Well, we have, you know, looked at the brand. We do a deep dive, figure out the brand pillars. And, you know, we're like, who is going to be, you know, who is going to lead this? And of course, our client Encon is a 50 year old second generation family business. There are three generations working there. So the founder is in his 80s, still works there. His son is the president who has, I mean, when I say probably through the company, I don't know, 10 times what it was. And so they are dynamic leaders. They're a family business. So we have used the president, the current president, uh, who also is in the YPO, the Young Presidents Organization, to use him to be the face of the brand. You now and humanize this brand. We get him on podcasts. We, you know, we use sound clips from audiograms from his podcast interviews. We get him press and we we fuel social media and PR. We call I coined it. I don't know if I'm the first to do it, but so PR because 
the social media fuels the PR and vice versa. And we've raised his profile that he can't go anywhere without people saying, oh my God, David, I saw you on that podcast. I read about you in that article. And all of a sudden he has all this press. We actually printed out all of his articles. They are covering his headquarters and it has just increased the word of mouth. So by bringing him to the forefront, humanizes this HVAC company. And, you know, it really has helped take to the next level. Well, let's relate that to my previous statement about commodities being bought for the lowest possible price, but brands are purchased at a premium. You have created a premium brand by using this individual, this personal brand within the larger company brand, or what I like to call an umbrella brand. That's the HVAC company, but the people in it can be individual personal brands that actually mixing metaphors here, rise the tide on the boat of the company that floats everything up because they're known to become known. You know, Mark Schaefer's got that great book called Known about the value of personal branding. And I love to point to Mark Schaefer's books because he's a big friend of the podcast and the dude knows his stuff. I'm just saying. So it's cool that you have been able to take what could be considered a commodity sector Mm-hmm. HVAC. What is that? Heating, ventilation, air conditioning. Yes. Yeah. Yawn, yawn, yawn all day long. Boring, <laughs> boring, boring. And yes. made it interesting, especially in the time of COVID. Yeah. Commercial real estate is taking a hit yep. like you would not believe. And I'm guessing your architecture clients are facing that as, as well, because yep. again, architects can be highly accredited and certified and everything else. Yes. But unless they're a brand, they're just like any other architecture firm out there. And yep, you're right. And, you know, and how do they stand stand out? So, I, you know, I think our philosophy is finding clients to partner with that do have that dynamic leadership. And, you know, over at Mancini Duffy, they've been around for over 100 years. But the, the president bought the firm maybe six or seven years ago and treats it like a startup with tech first innovation and We just launched a podcast for him called the Anti-Architect Podcast. And in his industry, he is like making waves. Like on the golf course, people are like, I listen to your podcast. Clients have called up like and literally said, I heard your podcast. I would like a, you know, a proposal for this. I would think it was like a hotel in the city project. So we're seeing return on investment like right away. And it's incredible, but it depends on this, the industry, you know, because it's there, he's really standing out in his industry where there's not much going on and using what the fashion, the beauty, the wellness, more of the, you know, the trendy brands on Instagram or what they're doing and applying it to, to that firm. That's a core tenant of personal branding going all the way back to the brilliant Tom Peters article in 1997 in Fast Company magazine called The Brand Called You. Mm. It was not about taking sunset shots of you in a bikini (laughs) looking fabulous. It was about packaging yourself using the techniques of packaged goods so that people understand who you are, what you do and how you do it. And then want to engage with you because they're like, oh, I heard that podcast. And I expect architects to be kind of stodgy and buttoned down. And you've got a and you've got a podcast called the Anti-Architect Podcast. Tell me more because that's interesting. Totally. Yep. And they want to know. And now we have merch, we have hats, (laughs) you know, and people are like so excited. What is the anti-architect? And then they go, listen, it's like you can't ask for more for them to be, you know, get people excited. You really have to get their attention these days. And I'm guessing that anti-architectness 
yeah. is highly dependent on the person themselves. Yes. This guy has got to be based on that name, mm -hmm. a little bit iconoclastic, a little bit in your face, a little bit, yeah, your baby's ugly and I'll tell you why. A little bit confrontational, a little bit, dare I say, New Jersey. Um, <laughs> well, we are based in New Jersey, but the offices are between New York and New Jersey. But he is disrupting the industry through tech first innovation and really doing things his way and wants to really disrupt the traditional, like you said, buttoned up architecture firm with everything from company culture to their technology to their, I mean, they're 50% women, like the culture is incredible and the diversity. And so he's really, you know, making a mark in that stodgy industry. I can say that. So if I'm understanding this correctly, you're doing branding based on one person who happens to work in the firm who then influences the entire firm's persona and uh, notoriety and reputation. And I'm guessing there are some people who don't like it, but guess what? Don't worry about them because they weren't <laughs> yeah. going to like him anyway. But the ones who are like, Hey, I like the cut of your jib. Yeah. They're the ones calling up saying, Hey, we've got an RFP for a new yes. project. We'd love to have you guys bid on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he realized that he's really the best one for new business development, you know, so he's really doing that himself and it, and it makes sense to put him in that position. And there are five shareholders and there are two women who also have personal brands going. So we use their angles for different, you know, different things. Yeah. And you can use them as a foil against him. You know, yeah. if, if he's the, the swashbuckling pirate, you can have someone who can calm them down a little bit oh. and, you know, or direct that energy in different areas. And there's a reason an old trope from cop shows is that you got a good cop and a bad cop to get things done. You need a little bit of good cop and you need a little bit of bad cop. And uh, that's the way the world rolls. Yeah, they balance each other out out well. Yeah. So it's well, been that's great. that's really interesting. So you literally are taking all the background and experience you have in fashion marketing, and you're applying it to industries that people, a lot of people, would look at you and go, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and just staying on the cutting edge, like with social media, doing reels and, you know, we did video. But I remember when I was first doing their, I started doing their Instagram page in 2017. And what I thought was, oh, I'm just doing my, doing my thing. Like this is, you know, this is how I would always do an Instagram, you know, really keeping on brand and knowing all of their brand pillars and really very, you know, strategic and people were talking about their Instagram and I'm like, I'm not doing anything like crazy this, but that's just how I was trained. And I didn't realize that it was like that background and really wasn't around that industry. I just thought, oh, they're, they're designers. They get it. But it was, it was totally different. Nobody was marketing the same way. And no one was coming at it from what I think probably is your natural point to start anything, which is what is your story? What Absolutely. are the stories we can tell? And what are the commonalities between the disparate stories that we can continually get out there in the marketplace and reinforce with everything we do the same thing? You're right. Mm -hmm. That is so key because, uh, okay, I'm a writer, so I get story and I have worked with designers and this is not a slam against graphic <laughs> designers. So please forgive me. I know not all graphic designers are like this, but my very first job, I had a graphic designer and come into my office and say, See this paragraph? I need it to be half that. 
And I'm like, no, 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 no. The design needs to be able to carry that because this is not about your design. It's about the story we have to tell. Now, we, of course, wrestled it out and I did do some editing. Yes. But it was, there's that friction occasionally between, I want it to look nice. And it's like, the story is not about looking nice. The story is about being a little bit brash. So how do we balance that? And I'm guessing you have that battle on a regular basis. Yeah, try. I mean, there's so much that goes into and social media as far as getting that down and, you know, working with creative people and designers too have all these ideas. But I'm like, you know, it has to function on social media, you know, like it, it has to fit in the box. And then for stories, it has to be this way. And there are so many different touch points and really have to know all the 360 degree branding for that. But it is it is a balance to you're right to get the copyright, to get the voice right, to get the creative right. And it's 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 interesting how we've become we've evolved into a content machine like our we are just spitting out content nonstop. And and that it wasn't like that even two years ago. Yeah. But now just like we're like a a factory over here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I definitely want to talk more about that in next week's episode, but for now I want to wrap this one up by saying I'm, I'm speaking of course with Carrie Balog and she is of brand groupies out there in the New Jersey, New York area. How can people connect with you online? They can find us at Brand Groupies on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, B-R-A-N-D-G-R-O-U-P-I-E-S, and brandgroupies.com. Imagine that, having handles that are all the same on every single social channel. (laughs) You're probably probably one of the few who do that, and and this is, okay, Uh, so longtime listeners of this podcast will realize that. Yes, I wrote about this in my first book about how I was self-loathing copywriter on one thing and I was DP Canoe 10, spelled like Canoe 10. And and then one day I go, well, I got to change these, but I can't. Everyone, nobody knew me as these other things. So I went and reconciled everything across the board, spelled it the same way. So if you want to find me, it's DP Knuton. The hardest thing you're going to have to do is figure out how I spell my last name. (laughs) And that's hard enough. So anyway, but I love the fact that Brand Groupies is Brand Groupies on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Yes. Yes. And the podcast, I called it Brand Groupies too, because I just thought, you know, who wants to try to market a different name? Let's just keep it all the same. Well, and also before we leave, what's the name of your mom band? Uh, Mama Drama. So it's Mama Drama Band on Instagram. M-A-M-A-D-R-A-M-A. Do you have any gigs coming up? And we are booking a few. We had one in July and it was our first time on stage in 16 months. So everybody, I think everyone was just excited to to get out. So we, um, you know, we're just looking at a few more dates um, in September. Well, there you go. You're hearing it straight from the personal brand called Carrie Balog, <laughs> the electric guitarist. The Are you the lead guitarist? Are you a rhythm I, guitarist? I am. I am. Yes. And we have a song out called MILF, Moms in Leather Forever on Spotify. So if you're feeling like doing a mom anthem, you could check it out. Because <laughs> that's what MILF stands for. That's Moms it for this week on the non- <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going any further down that trail. That's that's got landmines all over it. And that's fine because it's time to end this episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I'm your host, DP Knuton, and I'd love for you to like, subscribe, refer, and review this podcast wherever you get it because that really helps other people find it. 
And my guest today is the lovely and talented Carrie Bellog. And we'll be coming at you again next week. Bye-bye.